0: Welcome back to the Gathering Place of All Nations.
1: This Monday night we were blessed to have Pastor William Sosa with us. He shares a message about what does it mean to be in Christ. Let's check in. Praise God. Let's get right into the word and then we're gonna pray together. I um. I was at a conference in uh, a couple of uh, couple of weeks ago, in Waterloo, uh, and we they brought in a few pastors that were, um, they were put in prison during the COVID lockdowns for opening the church, and, and when you're you're when you sit under the teaching of a pastor that was put in in, in prison, it, it does something to you, if you can imagine, you know, and one of the pastors. Um, his message to the group there was, stand firm. Stand firm. Don't look back. Don't shrink back. We are not of those who shrink back. Stand firm. But I I came home from from Waterloo with a message. um, And I just, I thought it was just for our uh, church in Angus. But as I was thinking about tonight and praying for tonight and the church here, uh, I felt that I was to share the same message and, and then add another portion. So tonight we're going to talk about being united with Christ. What does it mean to be in Christ and the very serious implications that we have for right now. And so uh, let me give you a co- the context and then we'll go from there. If you have your Bible... Please open it to 1 John chapter 2. So you're making your way to 1 John chapter 2. We're going to read verses 1 to 6 and then verses 18 to 25. First John 2, 1 to 6. My little children, I am writing these things to you so that you may not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the sins of the whole world. And by this, we know that we have come to know him in which he walked. Verses 18 to 25. Children, it is the last hour, and as you have heard, that antichrist is coming. So now many antichrists have come. Therefore, we know that it is the last hour. They went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would not have they would have continued with us but they went out that it might become plain that they are all that they all are not of us but you have been anointed by the holy one and you all have knowledge i write to you not because you do not know the truth but because you know it and because no lie is of the truth who is the liar but he who denies that jesus is the christ And this is the promise that he made to us, eternal life. Amen? John here, uh, the Apostle John, is writing to Gentile Christians in, in Ephesus. Okay? So I'm just giving you the context here. Now, he's writing one letter to, to Gentiles in the, in the city of Ephesus who are actually considered outsiders and exiles. They're not a part of the world. They're not a part of the culture. They're not welcome in that culture. And this letter, from this group, it it is circulated to the other churches. The churches of of the book of Revelations, the seven churches, for example. So it just doesn't stay with one group, but it it goes around. And and here's, uh, John has uh, a twofold goal in mind as he writes to these Gentiles. Number one, he has this concern in mind. I'm writing to you that you do not sin. Believer. Please, do not sin. My other purpose for you is don't have any idols. Do not sin and do not have any idols. Guard yourselves from idols. So John begins the letter by saying, here, God's desire for you is that you do not sin. But if you do sin, you have an advocate. You have a defender. Jesus Christ will come to your rescue he will stand on your behalf before the lord before the father so don't worry now of course this is not license to freely sin and disregard god this is this is for the believer who wants holiness who wants life with christ and yet perfection is not fully there so if you do sin jesus christ will defend you don't worry but he also says that the evidence for someone knowing God and, and, and that this person who claims to have a fellowship with Christ, the evidence is that they keep the commandments of God, that they obey. If they don't, then they're liars, right? And the proof that someone is in Christ is that the person in Christ obeys Christ. What does it mean to be in Christ. The measure of our faithfulness, this is implied by John, the measure of our faithfulness does not rest in the degree of the difficulties that we face. The measure of our faithfulness is measured by obedience. Do we obey, yes or no? Do we keep the word, yes or no? Do we keep the commandments? That is the measure. John says, if you are in Christ... If you abide in him, then you're going to walk as he walked. It's inevitable. For those who are in Christ, they will walk as he did. Then at the end of the chapter, he says, it's the last hour. Children, this is the last hour. And how do we know it's the last hour? The Antichrist is coming. Now, before the Antichrist comes, many Antichrists have come. And they were from us. Truly, they're really not of us. And the, and the fact that they didn't remain in Christ is proof enough that they were never truly, really of us. Who, what, what does he mean? So, before this Antichrist that we all know will come, what, is, what does John mean by the many Antichrists that have come? What is he getting at here? John is talking about. A spirit, and I want you to get this tonight. He's talking about a spirit that comes over, a demonic spirit that comes over people, and it personifies Christ. And he begins to cause people to question the deity of Christ. So we're not talking about ungodly people. Ungodly people are ungodly already. We're talking about Christians. We're talking about Christians that are not awake, that are not... Walking with Christ that are not in step with spirit with the spirit of God and they're so vulnerable that they're in danger of being of Fallen into the trap or or fallen or falling for the lies of the antichrist spirit And we're gonna look we're gonna look further into that and so he's saying this spirit personifies Christ Pretends to be Christ it denies the Jesus Christ the Jesus of the Bible is Christ it gives you a completely different revelation of who this Christ is. And not only that, he's a liar. He not only denies Jesus, he denies the Father. Now this spirit, uh, this demonic spirit that captures people, it, it captures people, institutions, systems, and governments. Let me give an example. Uh, we're talking about Brazil. Brazil just had an election, and no one can quite explain how this socialist leader was elected. And the very first thing he said was, "We're going to be God. We're going to be God to you. You don't have mother. You don't have father. You have the you have the state. We are your God. Joy found in the state. Hope found in the state. Life." Come to the state. We are going to be your God. And church, if you stand in the way, will come for you. Now you would think, well, that's happening in Brazil. It's happening here. It's happening here. What is that? Is that normal? No, that is the spirit of the Antichrist. That's what John is talking about here. You would think... That it's, it's the state, for example, so it's neutral. No, there is no such thing as neutrality. That's, that's the point that John is making. You are either for Christ or against Christ. You're either in Christ or outside of Christ. There is no neutrality. The idea that the state is neutral is a myth. The idea that people are neutral is a myth. The idea that the church can be neutral is a myth. The idea that culture is neutral is a myth. And if you're not in Christ, you're not for Christ, you're anti-Christ. Does that make sense? That's what John is getting at here. James 4, 4. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is empty with God. Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God." This morning, a pastor posted this verse just on his Twitter. I don't even have Twitter anymore, but there was a power outage yesterday in New Market, and they were posting um, updates on Twitter, so I had to go find the updates on my phone And this morning, a message from this pastor, I don't even know who he is. He just posted on his Twitter page this verse. And the comments from Christians, how dare you, pastor, tell me that I cannot be a friend of the world and be in Christ. And he kept saying, James 4.4? Are you out of your mind? Somebody wrote, judgmental much? he's saying james 4 4 and this and this idea that that i can be in christ and be part of the world is permeating the church am i the only one who sees that that is the spirit of the antichrist that's what, that's what John is talking about. Before the Antichrist comes into scene, many have come. Many. Capturing people, institutions. Talk about schools. So what does it mean to be in Christ? What does it mean to be united with Christ? The New Testament uh, uses... Two interchangeable expressions. Number one, and I'm going to give you a bunch of references for scripture. If you're interested, I can send you an email with my notes later. Just come find me at the end. But first thing we see in the New Testament, we're told that we are in Christ. Okay, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, John 15, uh, 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 John 15, uh, verse 4, 1 Corinthians 15, 2 Corinthians 12, Galatians 3, Ephesians 1, Philippians 3, 1 Thessalonians 4, 1 John 4, so on. We are in Christ. Christ is in us. Galatians 2, Colossians 1, Romans 8, 2 Corinthians 13, Ephesians 3, and so on. So what does it mean? Believers are created in Christ. Ephesians 2. Crucified with Christ, Galatians 2. Buried with Christ, Colossians 2. Baptized into Christ and his death, Romans 6. United with Christ in his resurrection, Romans 6. Believers are seated with Christ in the heavenly places, Ephesians 2. Christ is formed in believers, Galatians 4. He dwells in our hearts, Ephesians 3. The church is the body of Christ, 1 Corinthians 6 and 12. Christ is in us, 2 Corinthians 13, and we are in him, 1 Corinthians 1. The church is one flesh with Christ, Ephesians 5. Believers gain Christ and are found in him, Philippians 3. Furthermore, in Christ we are justified, Romans 8, glorified, sanctified, called, made alive, Created anew. Adopted and elected. That's a lot. (laughs) The one in Christ. So what does it mean? The apostle Paul thinks of himself as being in Christ. He refers to himself as one who is in Christ. If you were to do a study, you would find that Paul mentions being in Christ over 80 times. Throughout his 13 letters. 80 times. And he says, not only that he is in Christ, he says, I'm in the Lord, I'm in him, I'm in the Lord Jesus Christ. Salvation itself is in Christ. So what does it mean to be in Christ? To be in Christ means to be joined to him in covenant means to be joined bodily and spiritually to the crucified, resurrected Christ. And it's not a formula, a practical step-by-step kind of thing. It's, it's, it's a change in the way we see life and how we think. It's covenant. On our way here, my wife and I were talking about, I don't even know what we were talking about, but we were talking about being accountable to each other and that I'm accountable to her and she's accountable to me. Why? Because we're married. And together we're accountable to God. Because we're married in covenant. That's what it means to be in Christ. I am joined to him in covenant forever. Forever. And that means that all that Christ is, I'm with him. I'm with him. To be in Christ means that I'm united to him at all points. That's why Jesus says the world hated me. It was going to hate you. Why? Because you're in Christ. Believer, if you're in Christ and the world does not hate you, I don't know what Christ you're in. That is not the Christ of the Bible. So in Christ, we share in his death. Right? Romans 6, Paul says, you should not be under sin because you died with Christ in baptism. You're dead to sin because you died with him. Right? So in Christ, we share in his death. Sin has no dominion over us. Romans 6. We share in his resurrection and ascension. We are resurrected with Christ, which is to say that the life we now live is his life. Galatians chapter 2, we share in Christ's heavenly position. We sit with him in heavenly places. So our life is hidden with Christ and God. When Paul says to the Ephesians that Christ is seated in the heavenly places above all powers and dominions and principalities and that the enemy is under his feet, believer, that's you. You are in Christ positionally. The enemy is defeated. And yet you have to fight a defeated foe every single day. Why? Because you're in Christ. It's a covenant. You're joined to him. And we will share in his promised return. We're told in Colossians 3 that when Christ, who is our life, appears, we will also appear with him in glory. God's purchase of us from bondage to sin and Satan and death only becomes real. This purchase only becomes real in Christ. If not in Christ, then there's no purchase. There's no redemption apart from Christ. There's no righteousness apart from Christ. Paul says in Philippians 3, That the righteousness we need to stand before God, we have in connection with Christ, being joined to Christ, being found in him, not having a righteousness of our own that comes from the law, but that which comes through faith in Christ. Paul says the same thing in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. It's a covenant. Romans 8 verse 1. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus our Lord. We only stand righteous and uncondemned before God because of Christ. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, Paul explains why there is no condemnation. He says, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption. Okay, so in Christ we have sanctification, redemption, righteousness. In wisdom. It's in Christ. That's why there is no condemnation for the believer. This, what I'm telling you tonight, is the foundation of Christian life. It's the foundation of our sanctification. For those who are in Christ, sanctification is inevitable. You there? Amen. It's inevitable. Christ binds us so completely to himself that we share in all that he is. Paul says, you're not even a son of, you're not a slave to sin anymore. You're adopted. You're adopted. The father loves you as much as he loves the son. Can you understand that? Can you imagine that God will love you just as much as he loves Jesus? Why? Because you're in him. This is mind-blowing to me. You don't need to fear. Right? That's, that's what Paul is telling the Romans. You don't need to fear. You're in Christ. You're adopted. You, you don't have a spirit of fear. You've received a spirit of adoption. That's why you cry, Abba, Father. In Christ, Paul says in Romans 8, that we become heirs of God and co-heirs with christ in other words everything that god has is now mine everything every promise is yes and amen in christ right we're heirs and co-heirs not only that paul says he who did not spare his own son but gave him up freely how shall he not with him also freely give us all things do you see how how the implications of being in Christ this is huge We will live with God forever in Christ There will never be a moment in eternity where we will not be in Christ What does that have to do with first john and the antichrist well no neutrality church you're either in christ which means you're for christ and if you are in christ you are you have peace with god or you are antichrist you're not for christ you're outside of christ and an enemy of god and we have both in the church and here's the amazing thing jesus the christ jesus is the head of the church Paul says in Ephesians that not only is Jesus the head of the church, he is the fullness that fills all in all. The church is the body of Christ. So when when we look out there and we think the church is at war, which is, the church is at war, that means Jesus is at war, which means you are at war right because you're in christ christ is the head of the church and you are the church and the church is at war we are at war jesus is at war the main thing i want to say the main thing that the spirit of the antichrist does is it questions the lordship of jesus christ Is he really Lord? We're talking about Christians here. We're not talking about the world. The church is at war with the world because we are for the world, against the world. The church is at war with the state because the state is never neutral. The state will either defend the church or fight the church. But it's never neutral. I don't care where you live. I don't care what country you're from. I don't care how free the country is. The state is never neutral. The church is at war with sin. We war. We wage war against sin. And here's the crazy thing. The church is at war with the church. aren't we we have two camps in the church you have those who profess to be Christians but are completely devoid of God and have those who confess Christ and are at peace with God so the church is at war with the church and if we're not careful We go from confessing Christ to simply professing, and we forget, and we we don't even know, we don't even realize how empty and devoid of God we become. And that is when the spirit of the Antichrist takes place. Does that make sense? Turn with me to 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Paul talks about three kinds of people. I find this just fascinating. Paul says there are only three kinds of people in the world. First Corinthians chapter two, we're gonna read verses 10 and on, and then chapter three, verses one to three. Paul begins chapter two by proclaiming Christ crucified. And then he talks about the mysteries of the spirit that are given to those who are in Christ. So verse 10, he says, these things God has revealed to us through the spirit. For the spirit searches everything, even the depths of God. For who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, which is in him. So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the spirit of God. Now, we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand the things freely given us by God. And we impart this in words not taught by human wisdom, but taught by the spirit, interpreting spiritual truths to those who are spiritual. The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Chapter 3. But I, brothers... So three kinds of people: the natural person is the unconverted person, is a person that cannot receive the things of the Spirit, because they're unconverted; they're not in Christ, so the things of God are folly to him. Paul says uh, uh, later in, in, to the Corinthians that the message of the cross is what foolishness to those who are perishing. Why? They don't discern the things of the Spirit. They're natural. But then he says there's another kind of person, and this person is the spiritual person who is in Christ and therefore receives everything the Spirit has to give. So then they're not judged by anyone because they discern all things in the Spirit. And that word judged really is condemned. The spiritual person is no longer condemned. Why? Because there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But then there's a third person. And that is the carnal. And Paul says, you're Christian. But you don't receive the things of the Spirit. Because you're too focused on the flesh. You're too carnal. I'm going to say that again. You're in Christ. But you're in danger. Why? Because you're too carnal. You don't Receive the things of the spirit not because it's not available to you for it is available to all who are in Christ But because you're too carnal You're too carnal. You're living in the flesh And the spirit of the Antichrist comes after the carnal Christian So what do we do? We wake up every day and we put our faith in Christ again. That's it. Paul says in the letter to the Ephesians chapter 1 that we are in Christ by faith. It's by faith. It's by faith only. By faith only alone it's a decision of the will daily and the morning i'm gonna say that again in the morning daily every day i wake up and i put my faith in christ again and we're not talking about saving faith you don't need to get saved every day right that's not doctrinal that's what i'm talking about although feel free to do it (laughs) What I'm saying is a decision that I will submit to Christ daily. And that might mean death. Hello? That might mean going against your family. We don't think about these things in Canada, and although it's already here, it's here. It's in the United States. It's in the so-called free Christian nations that profess Christ, but are completely devoid of him. So we put our faith in Christ, and that might mean jail. But hey, you're Christian first, Canadian second. Your home is not in Canada. Your home is in heaven. So if you die, so what? You will live forever in Christ. I Think about my children. My seven-year-old daughter, my five-year-old son. And I think, Lord, what do we do? How do we prepare them? And God keeps telling me, you preach to them. Preach to them. Preach to them. Disney, anybody? Just now with a a Christmas movie, instead of saying, we love you, Santa, we love you, Satan. Has anybody seen that on the news? Yeah. We were watching a Christmas movie... Uh, I don't even know what it's called and this little boy dressed in in sparkly girly clothes and my son said why why is that allowed he's five and I'm thinking should I not say anything and the Holy Spirit no you need to tell him and so I told him that's the world Nathaniel oh that's not right no no Daddy, what do we do? We turn to Christ. We should pray for them. Yes, we should pray for them. Right? So, it may cost us everything. And, it's, and it may sound very theoretical, but it's not church. There are serious implications about being in... When, when you think about being in Christ... What is her name? Uh, a missionary, Helen Roosevelt, who was raped for not denying Jesus. And in prayer she said to Jesus, you went too far, you did not protect me. She said that after praying and, and, and confronting God, as, as she felt it was her right, the Holy Spirit spoke to her and said, it's me, they hate me, not you. You're in me justice will come this is not the end they don't hate you they hate me and you are in me I'm almost over almost done and we're gonna pray let's go to Ephesians because I want to pray for power tonight and I'm gonna tell you why Paul writes to the Ephesians And he begins this really long prayer in the book of Ephesians chapter 1 and then he stops the prayer to explain the mystery of the gospel and then he goes back into the prayer and then he stops the prayer to explain more mysteries and then he goes back into the prayer and he's never really done with the prayer you see parts of the prayer all over the book of Ephesians and in between the prayers he has explanations to the mystery of the gospel which is incredible But Paul begins uh, Ephesians chapter 1. We're going to read Ephesians 3, verses uh, 14 to 21. But in chapter 1 of Ephesians, Paul begins by saying, We have been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ. In Christ. You've been blessed with every spiritual blessing in Christ from before the foundation of the world. Uh, That's another mind Bending statement that Paul would what? What do you mean that I've been blessed before the foundation of the world? That means I didn't even exist. Well, God had a plan And I've been blessed with every spiritual blessing not only that in him I Heard the gospel and accepted it in him. I've been sealed with the spirit. That's chapter 1 of Ephesians in Christ, you receive a down payment. That is the Holy Spirit. In Christ, you are sealed unto the day of redemption. In Christ. That's chapter 1. And then he gets chap- to the end of chapter 1, he says, this Christ, the one you're in, he's the one seated above everything, right? And he's the head of the church. And his fullness fills all in all. And then chapter 2, he says, not only you're one in Christ, not only you are in Christ, you're one with your brothers and sisters. Why? Because you're in the church. We are one. This is the mystery of the gospel. We are one body. And then chapter 3, for this reason. What reason? You're in Christ. For this reason. Because you are in Christ, I pray for you. And then we get to the second part of the prayer. Verse 14, for this reason. What reason? You're in Christ. Because you are in Christ, I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your heart's far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Why, Paul? You just told me I'm in Christ. I'm sealed. And now you're asking for power? Yes. Yes. Because you are in him You need power. Not only so that you can comprehend, that's chapter 3, but then you keep reading and you get to chapter 6 and he says this power you need along with the full armor of God is so that you will stand firm. That's it. So how do I remain in Christ? Power. Power by faith. Power in your inner being. In you, the power of the Spirit. what is this power so first thing chapter 1 Paul says you're sealed you're in him period that is forever now you need more you need more and more and more of Christ so you need power you need power have you ever been in a situation where things are so difficult that you don't even know how to pray you have no strength to pray. And unless the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you do not pray. Am I the only one? What is that? It's, it's power. We're not talking about gifts as important as they are. They're for service. They're external. We're talking about power internally, in you. The resolve, the conviction to stand firm. Firm. That is not human. That is Christ in you as you are in him. Now, not only that, Paul says this power in the spirit, in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Wait a minute, Paul. You already told me that Christ is in me and I'm in him. Now, you're telling me that I need power so that Christ will dwell in me? So it's, it's, it's the, the infilling kind of idea. Right? You need infillings. You need more of Christ daily. And unless we have the power of the Spirit, Christ will not continually dwell in our hearts through faith. So that as you receive this power, you're rooted and you're grounded in love. And then together with the saints, we can comprehend, we can begin to understand what, how much he loves us. That whatever is happening in this world, whatever we're going through, I'm loved. And that should be enough. You okay? You're looking at me, kind of. <laughs> that you would know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge. Love that, no one can understand this kind of love, but it keeps you. It causes you to stand firm. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think, according to the power at work in us, to him, Be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen. We're going to pray for power. We're going to say, Lord, we need power. We need the power of the spirit to stand firm, to remain in him. I'm going to read one last passage of Scripture and we'll, we'll pray. This is Jesus' word, John 15. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away. And every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes, that it may bear more fruit. Already you are clean He it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. If anyone does not abide in me, he is thrown away like a branch and withers. And the branches are gathered, thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask Whatever you wish, and it'll be done for you. By this, my Father is glorified, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments." and abide in his love these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full amen so what does it mean to be in Christ it means I'm joined to him I'm in covenant with him playtime is over church look around you Look around you, look at what's happening. You're either for him or against him. You're either in him and at peace with God or outside and an enemy of God. We don't have time to play games. We don't have time to play games anymore. At the conference, they had a bunch of about 20, 25 pastors sit on the stage. They had all either been put in prison or fined a lot of money for opening their churches. One pastor been fined $60 million and still going to court and probably 15 years in jail for opening church. And his response to the police officer was, but Christ is the head of the church. Christ is the head of the church. And the police officer told him, no, the state is. The state is. No. He said, no, Christ is. And so I do what Christ tells me to do. And then they had an 87-year-old gentleman who had been fined along with this pastor, $60 million. And they asked him, what did you learn in this experience? What did the Lord show you? And he said, I need to repent. And he began to weep in front of almost a 1,000 people in the conference. I need to repent. And then everybody's looking at him like, what do you mean? And he said, we are where we are now because when Pierre Trudeau, way back when, when he came out and said, let's put the sacred cow to the side. I don't know if you ever watched that video where he says in public "the but the church and God being sovereign over the church, that's a sacred cow, we should get rid of it. The state should control everything and people celebrated. And he said the church back then said nothing. I'm sorry, and he repented. People began to weep and to pray for each other and then somebody yelled out, we forgive you, brother. He said, I can only imagine where we would be now had the church said something then. It's not different today. Christ is the head of the church. Amen. Christ is the head of the church. Yes, amen. Thank you, Jesus. The word of God is the sole authority of the church. Amen. We're going to pray. Can we play that song one more time? I'd asked Helena to play this song, Behold Jehovah, seated on the throne. I want us to behold the Lord. I want us to say, Lord, all power, dominion, blessing, glory is yours. It's yours. And if you're here tonight, at home or here, and, and the Lord is speaking to you, and maybe... Maybe you're not spiritual. Maybe you're carnal. I don't know. Then you need to do business with the Lord. Enough living in the flesh, church. Enough. We cannot afford to live like this anymore. Will you stand with me? Give you a few minutes to do business with the Lord where you are right now.
0: Behold, Jehovah seated on the throne.
1: There's unconfessed sin. Confess now.
0: The well. willing to forgive. Confess as you behold him. Begin to confess. And shall be forevermore.
1: Maybe it's not sin. Maybe you've just been cold. Oh, holy Maybe you've just been, eh, whatever. Lord. And you need the fire of God yet again. I Did your prayer life with him.
0: Love, sing, and honor,
1: and glory, and power, confess. Amen. Confess. He forgives us of all of our unrighteousness. Amen. The moment we confess for the sake of his amen. own name, he blots out our transgressions and remembers them no more. to ask for power, make sure your heart is right with the Lord now. like the Lord is saying to some, I don't know if it's here or online the promise it feels like it will not happen whatever promise is given to you, it's just taken too long and there's just that faith for that promise is no longer there but God is a covenant keeping God and I feel like the Lord is saying tonight, not only is he here to give us power so we can stand firm, he is here to remind us of the promise because he does not forget. The Bible says that if we are faithless, he remains faithful for he cannot deny himself. Whatever is happening out there is not powerful enough to stop God. Nothing can stop our God. You will live the promises of the Lord. You will. You will. And so if if this is for you tonight, then resolve to trust God again with that promise. Don't leave here without that promise. you feel comfortable coming up to the front here. If you can, you don't have to. Can we sing that part again? Behold the way, the truth, and the life.
0: Behold
1: You fill us again,
0: restore to your people the joy of your salvation. Fill us again, Lord. Fill us again, Lord.
1: Give us strength to stand firm, give us power so that we can comprehend the love. Spirit come. Amen. Fill us with hope again. Fill us with hope again. Fill your church with hope again. Fill us with joy again. Strength again. Faith again. Faith. Again. faith more faith. Just stand firm. Amen. In the name
0: of Jesus. Amen. In the name of Jesus. Oh, hallelujah. Sing and honor and glory. Power remain. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. stone
1: father and give, Bringing, and, power, stone and give us a heart of flesh remove the heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh remove the heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh remove the heart of stone and give us a heart of flesh father in the name of jesus 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 Hallelujah, hallelujah. Nature rent the heavens and come down. guys just a little more
0: Blessing press
1: in, and, press in and glory and power amen holiness has a name
0: all what God has for you. Make sure to visit us in person. Check out www.tgpoa.com for more
1: information on how to find us. We hope to see you here soon.